0: So uh, if you're new to Genesis or uh, maybe new to church, one of the reasons we celebrate during offering is that giving and generosity is something that's celebrated in the Bible. I mean, if you read through the Bible, what you see is time and time again, this God who encourages his people to be generous and then rewards them when they are generous. And so if you start in Exodus chapter 36, you see Moses calling for people to bring contributions of gold, silver, bronze, and fine fabrics to build the tabernacle, which is kind of like, a portable temple. Okay, it was this place that they went to worship the Lord. Kind of the first church building, if you think about it like that. And the people were so generous, Moses had to tell them to stop, like stop bringing things for the tabernacle. We have everything we need. Can you imagine if we, as a church, had to stand up? If I had to stand up some Sunday morning and say, "Hey, stop bringing offerings. Don't give any more money to the church. We have more than enough." But that's what happened in Exodus 26 and then or 36. Then in Second Samuel we see King David. King David wants to build an altar to God. The only problem is the place that he wants to build it is already occupied. It's a, the threshing floor of a man named Arona. It's where when he harvests his wheat he separates the grain from the chaff. And David goes to Arona and says, "I, I want to buy this land." And Arona sees that the king wants something from him uh, to worship the Lord, and he's willing to give it to him. He says. He says, Don't buy it from me, I will give it to you. And then David says, No, I insist on buying it. And he says, I will not make an offering to God that cost me nothing. And then uh, when David's son Solomon becomes king, he goes to make a burnt offering to the Lord, as would have been the custom. Uh, we see in 1 Kings 3, he doesn't just go make a single burnt offering like he's called to do, like he's supposed to do. Instead, he makes a thousand offerings. Extravagant generosity. And in return, God says, I'll give you whatever you ask for. You probably know this story if you're familiar with the Bible at all. It's where Solomon doesn't ask for riches, and he doesn't ask for women, and he doesn't ask for anything that he could have asked for, but he asked for wisdom. And he became, uh, Scripture says, he became the wisest man who ever lived. And finally, in the New Testament, there's this scene where Jesus is sitting at the temple watching people put their offering uh, in. And, And can you imagine like Jesus is just sitting there watching these people... Uh, man, what would change about your offering if you felt like Jesus was sitting there watching you put it in? You know, all these people are coming, putting in these huge sums of money, and here comes this little widow, and she puts in two small coins, and Jesus celebrates her. Like, he calls his disciples together, and he says, hey, guys, check this out. I'm paraphrasing now. This isn't exactly what he says, but he's like, hey, hey, check this out. This woman has been exceedingly generous because she put in all she had. And so we celebrate generosity at Genesis Church because the Bible celebrates generosity. God's people are generous people. And that's what we want to talk about today as we finish up our series called The Harvest. Now, if you've missed the first two weeks, you really should go to our website or hop on the app and listen to the podcast because we've been talking about our vision for 2017 and beyond for Genesis Church. And the series is called The Harvest because that's what Jesus talked about in places like John 4. When he says, uh, John 4:35, he says, I will tell you, or I tell you, open up your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. And when Jesus says harvest, he's thinking about people. It's the process of bringing new people into his kingdom, or what we like to call helping people find their way back to God. That's always been our mission. It's the conviction behind everything we do now and as we think about the future and where we go from here, we've got the harvest Jesus is preparing for us in mind. And that's why it's going to take every one of us. I mean, helping people find their way back to God can't be our church's mission unless you are willing to make it your personal mission. If enough of us make it our personal mission, mission to help people find their way back to God, then it, by default, becomes our church's mission as well. And so week one of this series, we talked about that mission, and uh, we looked at the passage where it originated, which is 2 Corinthians 5. The Apostle Paul wrote that, and he said that we are ambassadors for Jesus. An ambassador, we said, was someone who lives somewhere they're not from and represents that place that they're from. So uh, if you are a follower of Christ, you know that this world is not your home. We are citizens of heaven, but we live here on earth for a season and for a reason. And we have the opportunity in every conversation and in every relationship to remind people that they matter to God and that Jesus died for them. And then last week we talked about outreach and uh, what, how, who we partner with and how we do outreach at Genesis Church. And we talked about the command by Jesus in Acts 1.8. He said we are to be witnesses. And a witness is someone who testifies to what they've seen and what they've experienced. But he told us we would be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And if you remember from last week, the specific challenge was to think about those harvest fields where you invest time and energy. It may have been uh, one of our outreach partners, but it could also be places like your school, your neighborhood, where you work. And yes, you should be witnesses no matter where you go. But I challenge you to think specifically about one field, one harvest field where you might even give more time and more effort. And I know many of you were encouraged by that. I'm I'm excited at how some of you have started reaching out to some of these outreach partners to begin serving there. Some of you begin giving outside the walls of this church to our outreach partners. Again, part of what we hope to accomplish in this series was simply provide for you a picture of where we see the Lord leading us right now and some potentially great opportunities that might be ahead of us. And so as I wrap up our series today, I'm gonna take just a little time to remind you of how important your financial giving and generosity are for our church, for our mission, and for our work in the harvest. And I wanna get you thinking about a couple of things. First, think about the possibilities that could come from every person committed, every person growing in this area of generosity. And not just what that would mean for our ministry, but second, I want you to think about what it might mean for your faith and for the life you live for Jesus in this world. So if you have your Bibles, open them to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, We're going to spend all morning on this passage, 1 Timothy 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a blue one on the floor around you. It's page 831 in that Bible. 1 Timothy is uh, right near the end of your Bible, if you can't find it. It's back there after 2 Thessalonians and Titus, uh, before Titus. Uh, So a little background first before we get to the passage. Uh, Once again, we're going back to Paul. Paul is the writer here, the Apostle Paul. One of Paul's disciples or apprentices was a young missionary by the name of Timothy. Timothy was a man who was responsible for preaching and leadership in places like Ephesus. Now, Paul probably planted or had a big hand in planting this church in Ephesus. Uh, He wrote a letter to them uh, that we know as the book of Ephesians, and he wrote at least a couple of letters to his apprentice or his disciple timothy and we have two of those captured in our bible first timothy and second timothy this is the first one that he wrote to timothy but paul's audience is not limited to timothy or even to the church in ephesus i believe these words are useful for you and me um, for genesis church as well so first timothy 6 17 is where we're going to start he says this paul writes this command those who are rich in this present world now i'm going to stop right there for a minute What I want you to know is that Ephesus was a port city on the Mediterranean. It was an epicenter for trade and wealth. It's likely that people in the church there were probably in a better position than most other people in this region of the world. In a lot of ways, it's a lot like Hamilton County, if you think about it. We are in a better position than most other people around us. And compared to the rest of the world, they were rich. So, a lot like us, right? Right? Now some of you might push back and say, well I'm glad he's not talking to me because I'm not rich. Well I want you to think about this, consider this. Almost no one believes that they are rich. Uh, Robert Frank in his Wall Street Journal blog called The Wealth Report says, the most common definition of what it would take to be rich was twice what I make now. And this is supported by several studies, seems to be true for almost every level of income. So when asked, someone who makes $50,000 a year will generally say it takes $100,000 a year to be rich. Someone making $100,000 will say it takes $200,000 and believe it or not someone making $5 million a year will say it takes about $10 million a year to be rich. This is true in almost every survey uh, that's been done on this matter. But the truth is that most of us in the U.S. are rich by global standards. Fidelity Investments did a survey of 1,000 clients. Their clients had an average net worth of $3.5 million and only 42% of them said that they felt rich. Now, there was an article sometime back about Bill Gates visiting India, and he had the media was following him around on this trip. And while there, he had the opportunity to interact with a woman from a very poor village. And after Gates walked away, a reporter came up to the woman and said, do you know you just talked to one of the richest men in the world? And this is what she said. She said, I know everyone who visits from the West is rich. I mean, think about it. If you had been the person she interacted with, she would have considered you in the same category as someone like Bill Gates. I mean, the truth is that we are rich. Here's a couple signs that you might be rich. All right? If you've ever dismantled your working kitchen and replaced it with a newer, nicer working kitchen, you're rich. If you have leftover food in your refrigerator right now, you're rich. If you have a bedroom for everyone in your family, you're rich. If you have a bedroom for your car to sleep in at night, uh, you're rich. And even if your car has to sleep out in the rain at night because its bedroom is full of too much stuff, well, you're super rich. I mean, we are rich. And rich isn't a bad thing. I mean, money and wealth is not a bad thing in and of itself. I want you to know a lot of people say the Bible says that money is the root of all evil, but the Bible doesn't say that. It says the love of money. Is the root of all evil. Wealth is not a bad thing, but with wealth comes great responsibility. Because we are trying to live with an eternal perspective, all right, because we're trying to live with the harvest in mind, we need to be receptive to the responsibility and the opportunity before us. So Paul goes on. 1 Timothy 6, 17, command those who are rich in this present world, that's us, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. And so Paul has a warning for us. Two warnings, really. Uh, first, he says, don't find your significance in money. All right? don't, he says, don't be arrogant. That your worth as a person has nothing to do with the house you live in, the cars you drive, or what your bank statement looks like. He says, don't be arrogant about that. Don't brag about that. Paul would go on to say in another letter, he said, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast about Jesus Christ in me. That's the only thing I'm going to boast about. Right? So he says, don't, find, don't be arrogant. Don't find significance in money. But second, don't, don't find security in money right? He says, don't put your hope in wealth. Why? Because money is so uncertain. And anytime we go searching for significance or security in anything other than God, we are worshiping a false God. We are worshiping an idol. What does it look like to have money as an idol? Well, one way you can tell if money is an idol in your life is if you get nervous when your pastor preaches about it. You know, I ran into an old friend this weekend. She, uh, she lives in the town I used to live in before I moved uh, here. And she's, she's a bit older than I am, but she knew about my ministry situation, that I had made the leap from the corporate world to the ministry world. And so she asked about my church, and, and then uh, she wanted to tell me about her church. She told me that she had found a great church, and he never talks about money. That was how she led. She said, I found a great church, and he never talks about money. Like That was what made a great church, was that the pastor never talks about money. And what I wanted to say in that moment, I didn't. I kept my mouth shut. You would have been so proud of your pastor because I didn't say anything. But what I wanted to say in that moment was, well, I'm not sure I'd attend a church that never talked about what Jesus talked about most. Because, in fact, there are over 2,350 verses in the Bible about money, wealth, and possessions. Now, just by comparison, 2,350 verses about money, wealth, and possessions. There are about 500 verses about prayer and fewer than 500 about faith. The truth is that Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. I mean, just think about how we sometimes have money as an idol in our life. How quickly do we go looking to money for significance, to solve our problems, to bring us happiness? Think about how quickly we cling to our money for the sake of security. We make money an idol, and it's worse in our country and in our culture than it is most places in the world. Jesus knew this. He knew this would happen. It's why he said in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then he continued later saying, but, but seek first his kingdom. He's talking about God's kingdom. See? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus wants us to have an eternal perspective when it comes to our money. And so Paul warns about the dangers of arrogance, about the dangers of false security, and instead he encourages us. Let's go on, 1 Timothy 6, 17. So don't be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. See, God doesn't want your faith to be in anything but him. That's what it means to be totally dependent on God. Now, don't miss this. Paul says it's God who richly provides. Richly provides what? Everything. And for our enjoyment. Psalm 24 says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And so as Christians, we acknowledge that everything we have comes from him and it it all belongs to him. And if it all belongs to him and it all comes from him, should it be any surprise that he has a plan for how we're supposed to handle our money? All right, so Paul goes on. And he starts to unveil that plan for us, 1 Timothy 6.18. He says, command them, those who are rich, right? command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And so the general goal here is to do good. And Paul says to be rich in good deeds. This is the type of giving that goes beyond financial gifts. All right, God wants you to serve and give your time and your talents to help those he's putting in your life. To be rich in good deeds is all about making disciples. It's about serving in your church. It's about investing in the people around you. And then he says, and be generous and willing to share. Now, make no mistake, Paul is talking about everything we have, including money here. All right, God has blessed each and every one of us with some level of financial resources. And his command for us is to do good and to be generous with what we've been given. Now, why money? Well, two reasons that I can see. One, money is a tool. It's a a tool that God provides, and as he provides for you, there's an expectation that you're going to put a portion of those financial resources to good work. Okay, now part of the money you earn is for the sake of providing for your own needs. There should be no shame in using money for your needs and your wants and fun and entertainment either. It says that God richly provides for our enjoyment, as long as you're honoring God with your wealth at the same time. All right? God's dream for you and for me is that we will give generously to support the work of the harvest in this world. And when you are willing to do that and start giving to these things, I mean, it can be incredibly effective. God uses our money to accomplish great things, and that's certainly true at Genesis Church. I mean, I want you to know this morning that if you're new to church or you don't really know how this whole church thing works, there is no secret pool of money sitting around that we use to lease our facilities and pay our staff and support our outreach partners. It all comes from what you give. Because of your investment and your giving at Genesis, many have been baptized, new churches are being supported, ministry partners around Indy and as far away as Myanmar have received your support uh, and... uh, you know, ministry partners are, are receiving your support. Those gifts would never be given from Genesis if you didn't give. Every gift matters. You know, one of the goals for this series was that you would know that your generosity is advancing the mission of this church. That because of your giving, that think about this, you and I will have the privilege of meeting people in heaven one day who found their way back to God, at least in part, thanks to your gifts. How cool is that? Okay, so money is a tool through which God accomplishes His work. But the second thing, the second truth about money is this. Money is also a test. Now, whatever money we have, however much or however little, is a test. It's a, it's a test concerning what we believe about God. It's so, not so much a pass or fail test. It's more of an essay test. That the way you use, handle, and give tells a story of what's going on in your heart and with your faith. I have a friend who says it this way. He says, I can tell what you value by looking at how you spend. Have you thought about that? Look back at what you've spent over the last year and what does it say about what's most important to you? Jesus said it this way, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Money is a test of the heart. But by the way, money is not just a test for us. Uh, Giving is the one area, uh, the only one as far as I know, where we're invited to test God. I haven't seen another area in scripture where God says to test him, but in this area of giving, he does. In Malachi 3.10, it says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. That's in God's house, okay? He says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. God says, test me and I will bless you. If you give, I will bless you. Now, a lot of preachers take this to say, if you give financially, God will give back financially. If you give $100 to this ministry this week, you will get back a 1000 next week. But that is not what this passage says. What it says is that God says He will bless us. He will pour out so much blessing, there won't be enough room to store it. And I don't have time to tell you today, but I've heard story after story of people who have been blessed. Yes, financially, but in so many other ways, too, by their giving. And so here's my invitation to you today. I want to invite you to take a step toward great investment in the harvest, a greater investment in the mission of our church. And I'd love to see everyone get involved. I'd love to see everyone take a step with us in 2017. Why? Well, I promise it's not so that the church gets more of your money I mean, I love the thought of being able to do more and give away more, no doubt about that. But even more than that, I love the potential that could come from you opening your heart and your life to even more of what God wants for you. I'm excited for what he might want to do in your life next and what he might want to do with your faith as you take a step towards saying, God, you can have every part of my life. I belong to you. I'm ready to be used by you. So let's take a few minutes and talk about what this might look like for you, no matter where you are with your giving, uh, to take that next step. There are three steps we see to generosity, and I've included these in your notes if you want to follow along. Uh, Three steps to generosity. Step one is this, to become a priority giver. Become a priority giver. If you're not giving now or not giving on a regular basis, this is the step I want to invite you to take, to start giving something every time you're paid. Now, a priority giver is someone who gives first, gives consistently, and gives in a measurable way. Now, make no mistake to go from giving nothing to giving something is a big step. It's probably the hardest step to take. But when you do it, what you're saying is that you're ready for God to do more in you and to do more through you. And that's where some of you are right now. You can't even believe you're ready to make such a move. But you're growing, you're you're learning to trust God. When you start giving to the ministry of Genesis Church, what you're doing is loosening your grip on a former value system that says, it's all mine, it's all for my pleasure and my security. Instead, you're beginning to demonstrate that your faith is in God as your provider, not your paycheck, not your bank account. Now, the best way to become a priority giver is to choose an amount you want to give each month or each week and make it a habit. And that means that whenever you get a paycheck, you give first. That's one thing we see in Scripture, is that God blesses what are called first fruits. fruits. Which are the first fruits? They're the ones that come first, right? So don't a lot of people think, well, shouldn't I pay my mortgage first? Well, I don't know. Has Bank of America ever blessed you for paying your mortgage first? I mean, has your uh, landlord ever blessed you for paying your rent first? No, probably not, but God promises He will. He will bless the first fruits. Now not, not only do you give first, but you make it your goal to give consistently each month. Do whatever you need to do in order to make it a habit. Set up automatic giving or write the checks in advance. We, my family, we give automatically to this church. Every time I get paid, the very first thing that comes out of my bank account goes right back to the church. Now I'll say it again. For some of you, this is going to be hard. Some of you are really tight on your budget right now, and I get that. Some of you have inconsistent income. You don't have a regular flow of income, and you'll be tempted to give in. That's why you have to stick with it. It's why it's important to be consistent, and don't expect immediate results. All right, here's what's going to happen. Some of you are going to start giving, and then you're going to walk out in your driveway tomorrow morning, and your car's going to have two flat tires. Uh, you're going to have some expense, unexpected expense comes up, and you're going to go, really, God, why? But don't give up. You've got to stick with it. Growth takes time. But I'll tell you this. Giving does incredible things for your heart and for your faith. And if you stick with it, you are going to see some incredible things. So give first, give consistently, and the last thing I'll say is that you should give in a measurable way. In other words, give in a way that you can account for. And if you want to do that to Genesis Church, if you want to give to Genesis Church and measure it, uh, one way to do that is to give securely online through our app or through our website. That's what my family does. Uh, It's safe and secure. You can also write a check. We'll keep track of it for you. Or if you want to give cash, use the envelopes in the seat backs. Um, We'll keep track. We'll provide you twice a year with giving statements. Uh, We'll also send you a notice a couple other times a year where you can log on to your account in Genesis Network and get your giving statement. And I think it's important that you give in a measurable way for a couple reasons. First of all, your giving is tax deductible. That's a big benefit. But second, I think it's great to see what you've given. You know, I come from the corporate world and from the world of manufacturing. And what we used to say in manufacturing is what gets measured gets improved. And so if you're not measuring what you're giving, how are you going to know if you're improving in this area, if you're growing in this area? This is an opportunity for you to see how you are growing and trusting God in these areas. Now, I know some of you started with us uh, last year or two years ago, maybe when we did the series called The Ladder, and uh, you stuck with it. If you stuck with it, well done. Uh, If you got started and fell off the wagon a few months in, there's no shame for you, all right? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's try it again. Let's just keep moving together in the direction of generosity. And as you give, you will know the joy of contributing to God's work through Genesis. We're we're helping people find their way back to God here. Now, I said there's a challenge for everyone, and so if you already give something on a regular basis, I have a challenge for you too. And the uh, the second challenge, second step toward generosity is to become a percentage giver, to become a percentage giver. A percentage giver is someone who moves beyond giving to someone who tithes. Now, tithe is a churchy word. Uh, You only see it in Scripture. You only hear it in church. But a tithe simply means a tenth. It's the act of giving 10% of your financial resources back to God through the church. Now, in the Old Testament, the tithe was viewed as a bare minimum for giving to eternal things. Leviticus 27.30 says, a tithe of everything from the land, whether from grain or the soil or from fruit trees, uh, from fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. See, it belongs to the Lord. It's, It's clear to me, anyway, when I read that passage, the first tenth of what I earn isn't even mine. That the first tenth belongs to God. I mean, this was true from the time of Abraham all the way through the Old Testament. But then, but then Jesus came on the scene, and everything changed when Jesus came along. So thank God we're not under the law anymore, which is true. But be careful. Be careful with that argument about Jesus, because so often when Jesus talked about the Old Testament law, he didn't lower the bar Instead, he raised the bar. So, for instance, the Old Testament law says don't murder, but Jesus says if you hate your brother, it's like you've committed murder in your heart. The Old Testament law says don't commit adultery, but Jesus says if you lust after another woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. And, and then Jesus affirmed the tithe, too. Look in Matthew 23. Matthew twenty three twenty three. he says, "'Woe to you, you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites.'" That's pretty tough language. "'You give a tenth of your spices.'" Mint, dill, and cumin. He says, you tithe, all right? And what he's talking about is the mint, dill, and cumin, the spices, that's the little things. You tithe even on the little things. He says, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So he's criticizing these men for neglecting things like justice and mercy and faithfulness. And he validated the tithe for them, saying, keep tithing, but don't forget these other things matter to me too. He says, I want you to give with the right heart. Well, just like then, Jesus invites us today to give with the right heart. In fact, I believe that Jesus has opened the door to even greater giving because every New Testament example of giving goes far beyond a tithe. And so while the tithe is God's historical method to get us on the path of giving, it's not the finish line of giving. It's really just the starting blocks for generosity, for what what God wants to do in you uh, and in your heart through your giving. Now, I know some of you are already doing the math, and the thought of giving 10% makes you a little bit uncomfortable. But when did Jesus ever call us to a comfortable life? He didn't. He never promised life wouldn't be difficult. But He does say, But I will be with you. He does make us that promise. And so, are you up for that challenge? Some of you are ready to take that challenge. If you're ready to take that challenge, here's what you do. You've got Some dollar bills here. Every time you get ten of these, you take one and you give it to the church. Which one? The first one, right. You take the first one and you give it to the church. Now, that's easy when these are ones, right? These are Your pastor is a uh, big spender, right? These are one dollar bills. It's really easy to demonstrate with that. But it's a little tougher when they're tens. And it's a lot harder when they're hundreds, right? And so if you're the average person in Hamilton County... You're pulling down somewhere around $1,000 a week. Every week you take one of these and you return it to the Lord. And As a way of demonstrating what's going on in your heart and your desire to be generous, will you take the step to tithe to give one-tenth of your income back to the Lord through the church? Now, I've got to tell you, for my family, for my wife and I, it took us five to six, maybe seven years to learn to tithe. From the time that we started giving something on a regular basis until we reached a tithe. I mean, it took us some time. And I wish I had time to tell you all the ways the Lord provided for my family. I wish I had time to tell you what it is meant to give to this church and to give over and above to ministries and friends and what it's done for my faith. But maybe you're already tithing. And if so, there's a third challenge. And a third challenge is for you. The third, third step to generosity is to become a progressive giver. Now, a progressive giver is someone who, who, for whom giving is beyond 10%. It's someone who realizes that generosity is not limited to 10%, but that's it's viewing all of life's possessions, even 100%, as being available to the harvest. And this is where giving gets fun. Right, there are people like this. We have people like this at Genesis Church, and they're fascinating. They have the best stories. Their, their outlook on life and faith and generosity is so encouraging. I mean, they love the challenge of giving. They realize that you can't outgive God. And I know that some of you are ready to take this next step in generosity as a progressive giver. You're ready to move beyond tithing and on to greater things. And if that's you, let me challenge you as well in your giving in 2017. Two ways you can do that. Number one, raise your giving to Genesis by one percentage point. So if you're giving 10, give 11. If you're giving 13, give 14. Uh, or start giving or increase your giving beyond Genesis. Give to one of our outreach partners or another cause you're passionate about where they are helping people find their way back to God. Now, I want to tell you, I just want to be honest with you today um, because I'm not, I wouldn't ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do. So I'm going to tell you what my wife and I give to this church and to other ministries, but I'm not doing it in way, by way of bragging because I know many of you give more. And uh, I'm not doing it by a way of holding myself up as an example, only to show you that I'm not asking you to do something that I'm not willing to do. Okay, so my wife and I, I uh, just checked this week as I'm preparing to do our taxes, we gave 12.5% of our gross income to Genesis Church this year. And we gave 15% of our gross income away to all causes. Now, you probably notice that most of our giving goes to Genesis Church. Why? Well, I'm probably closer than any of you in this room to seeing how the money gets handled, how it gets spent, and how, uh, what good stewards Genesis Church is of the donations we receive. And I believe uh, so fully in the mission of this church and in how we treat and handle every donation that we give most of what we give to this church. So my wife and I gave 15% away uh, last year, and uh, we have committed... That we're going to add one more percent. We're going to up our giving to Genesis Church uh, by an extra percentage point this year. Uh, that's something I committed to you a few years ago. During the latter, we were tithing to this church, and we just decided we're going to give you know, an extra one percent every year, and we've been doing that. And so we're going to continue to do that again, uh, starting this 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 uh, month. So um, we're going to do that. But here's the truth: we are some of the richest people on the planet. Not not my wife and me, uh, but us as Americans. We are some of the richest people on the planet, and not just financially either. I mean, if you are a Christian, God gave up his son for you. If you're in Christ today, you have received something for which there is no price tag. Your sins have been forgiven. You have new life in Jesus Christ. Genesis, I cannot thank you enough for your generosity over the past year. Because of your giving, the good news of Jesus is being shared with this world. People are coming back to Christ. You're doing your part in the harvest, and people are finding their way back to God because of it. But there's more to do. Our work is not completed and will not be completed until Jesus returns. I mean, until then, we must faithfully follow the Lord. We have to keep looking for ways to live obedient lives on this earth. An obedient life is the only life worth living. You know, in 1 Timothy 6, Paul goes on to talk about what happens when we, are, when we do good, are rich in good deeds and generous and willing to share. 1 Timothy 6.19 says this, In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And he's talking about obedience here. Obedience leads to a life that is the most satisfying, the most rewarding. It's the life that helps bring in the harvest. So throughout this series, we've been sharing stories of people from Genesis Church who are doing their part in the harvest. We've got one more story we want to share this week, and it's from a couple, uh, Daniel and Courtney Coppick, who are not just generous with their finances, but with everything they have. Take a look.
1: we intentionally decided to invest in our neighbors. Um, Just as we would read scripture or um, listen to God's spirit and his promptings, God would ask us to do something. It might be something big, or something that seemed big to us and out of our comfort zone, or it might be something really small. And all we did was say yes. And in doing that, we've really been able to see God at work. For example, at the pool one day, I met a girl. She had just moved into the neighborhood, and we talked and had a great conversation. And before she left, I felt God nudge me like, get her phone number. <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay, I will. And so I asked for her phone number and put it in my phone, and then as soon as I got home, the Lord's like, okay, now invite her over to your house, which I'm not in the habit of doing. But I did it, and it was great, and now we meet on a regular basis um, through something called If Table. She's come to the women's group, she's encouraged me, I've encouraged her, and it's just been a great friendship.
0: I think what's very motivating for me is that so many others had already invested in me. The people from our church, that we saw them being neighborly, gave us the motivation, inspired us to want to be able to do that with all the people around us, all the people that we prayed that God would uh, put before us. So we started praying, and Courtney and I knew that all this time that we had been spending with them, you know, out in the cul-de-sac or um, at their homes, that God was pressing on us in a loving way to start inviting them more into our
1: lives. One thing that I have really learned is that um, God just wants us to share what we've been given. And Ben gave a great message about that. You know, Daniel has tools, so that's something that he can give, something he can offer. I have a home. It's not a big home, but it's something that I can open, something I can offer to people, and I have a little bit of extra time. Um, It's amazing what God can do with a simple yes, because He's the one with the big picture. He sees the person hurting. He sees their need and He loves them. And so when He asks something of us, whether we're at a grocery store or in our neighborhood or at work, wherever it might be, when we feel that prompting, I'm learning that it has such greater impact that when we can say yes to that, whether it's big or little, that there's purpose in it. And when We can walk through it even when it's not in our comfort zone. That's where we can see His glory and we can see Him move and we can see His power. And then our faith is strengthened for that next thing, whatever it might be.
0: So, what we most wanted you to see uh, in this series is that God is doing some amazing things in this church and through this church. And there are lots of opportunities for you to be involved. Financially, yes, and that's important. But there are so many other ways in addition to financially. It's it's making your personal mission, helping people find their way back to God. The Copics have done that. Uh, Paige and Lindsay, who we showed week one, they've done that. It's finding your harvest field, whether it's one of our outreach partners or in your workplace or in your neighborhood. You know, last week we showed the video of Caleb Townsend and shared his story. He's done that. Maybe you're supposed to lead a connection group. We've got some new ones starting in just a few weeks, and we'll provide the curriculum. It's only six weeks long. I mean, I'd love to talk to you about that. You can do anything for six weeks, right? Maybe you have a harvest field, but you don't know what to do next. You don't know exactly how to invest in people. Well, we have a regular monthly gathering called Multiply I want to invite you to. It's one Tuesday night a month, and it's for people who want to be kingdom workers and invest in others. Please don't don't come if you don't want to invest in other people. But if you've got someone you're investing in and you want to know how to take that next step, our next meeting is Tuesday night, February 7th. You can sign up on the website or on the app. Why do we do all this? I mean, all of this uh, work in the harvest, helping people find their way back to God, our outreach partners, encourage generosity. Why are we doing this? Because Jesus is our model for life and ministry. In John 5, 5, Jesus reminds us that my Father is always at His work to this very day, and I too am working. We just want to come alongside God where He's already working. You know, this is His church. This is God's church, and He's doing amazing things. And we, we just want to come alongside what is already happening in His church. And when you partner with us, and when you become obedient to your call, when you come alongside, you lift up the name of Jesus the name that is above every other name. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your work in the harvest. And Lord, we thank you for helping us to see where you are already at work and for inviting us to come alongside of that work. Lord, uh, some of us, we need help to be generous. For some of us, money has become an idol in our lives. Uh, It's an important part of who we are. It's where we find our identity. It's where we find our security. And Lord, we need you to break us of that. If that's true in my life or in in the lives of any of us in this room, Lord, I just pray that you would break us of that. Would you help us uh, not define ourselves by what we drive, or what we wear, or where we live, or how much we make, but to define ourselves as your children, to find our identity in you and you alone. God, we want to play a part in the harvest. We want to help people find their way back to you. We pray Uh, We ask that you would help us to do that. You would allow us to play a role in that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.